Good evening. Last week, we talked about the evolution of Lister's antiseptic methods into aseptic methods, which were some of the earliest successful attempts at making surgery safer. The next success story comes not from surgery, but from scientific discoveries more broadly, which enabled great strides in pathology, or the study of the causes of disease. Before the end of the 19th century, our understanding of disease was pretty bad. We didn't understand germs, but had all kinds of wild theories as to how disease spread and worked. Treating disease is pretty hard if you don't know what actually causes it, or even how to actually diagnose it. Early on, diagnostics relied heavily upon the senses. Doctors recorded what they saw, heard, smelled, and felt, and sometimes even tasted, and they tried to use those senses to diagnose disease. There were few diagnostic tools, save for some very simple ones. A stethoscope, a thermometer perhaps, if they were lucky, maybe a device to measure lung function or pulse. Some headway was made through autopsies, which, especially in the case of fatal diseases, often made a visible difference in parts of the body. Tuberculosis, for example, leaves clearly visible lesions, most frequently in the lungs. In this way, diagnosis could, to an extent, be confirmed, and at least we could tell what part of the body was being affected by specific diseases. But of course, an autopsy can only occur after it's too late. Certainly not of much help to the patient. This is a first step, though, at least towards understanding how diseases actually work. Real progress and understanding began to come about in the mid-1800s, with the advent of cell theory. Today, we know that all living organisms are made up of cells, tiny individual units that specialize and, when malfunctioning, cause disease. It follows, then, that diseases should be observable in cells, and with microscopes, actually seeing such changes became possible for the first time which birthed the field of surgical pathology. I unfortunately don't have time to walk through the many, many diseases and how they can be identified using microscopy, but let me outline how this works broadly. Through the work of thousands of people, we identified certain characteristics of different diseases, many often only visible under a microscope. For example, different bacteria cause different diseases and have different shapes and sizes. Once much of that was figured out, a surgeon could now cut a small piece of tissue he wanted investigated, send it along to the lab, and then a pathologist could examine them and hopefully figure out the organism or disease involved. Originally, this might take a significant amount of time in order to transport, prep, and finally examine the sample. In 1870, when Julius Conheim invented a method for quick freezing of samples, making transport and processing much easier, it became possible for a surgeon to receive diagnostic analysis during the course of one surgery. In 1905, another man improved upon the technique, and it began to see more widespread use. The real revolution came, though, with the work of James Paget and Rudolf Virchow. Let's start with Paget. Paget came of age in the early 1800s, was born into poverty, but was apprenticed to a surgeon, because remember back then that used to be a thing, and so found his way into medicine. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to become a practicing surgeon, because hospitals at the time required new surgeons to pay a fee, instead of, you know, getting paid to do work. Apparently, medical training has just always been exorbitantly expensive, and I guess some things never change. He was eventually elected to an assistant surgeon position, and from there his surgical career took off, although he stayed in poverty for many years to help pay his father's debts. Quite the stand-up guy. However, more of interest to us was his other work. Paget was a big nerd with a wide array of interests, and also enjoyed writing about those many, many interests. 
Among them were microscopy. While still a student, Paget discovered roundworms while looking at a muscle fiber under a microscope. Those are a kind of parasite most often passed to humans via uncooked pork, which is why medium-cooked pork is not a thing. From 1842 onwards, he published a number of papers on microscopy's uses in medicine, and especially on cancerous tumors. I found at least five diseases that were named for him, and almost certainly he discovered more than that. His achievements are frankly too plentiful to list here, but his crowning achievement is very broadly proving that microscopy had incredible potential in pathology. Before this, microscopes weren't frequently applied to medicine, and their introduction allowed for much more precision in understanding, diagnosing, and treating disease. Paget is another one of these people who I really like, and so I want to give a better picture of who he was, before we move on. He lived a humble lifestyle, despite his significant salary and stature later on in life. Paget never retired, was apparently always punctual, yet still a devoted family man traveling regularly with his wife and children. Clearly, he was a dedicated researcher too, but also a simple and effective communicator, preferring to use small and simple words. A potential record was the end of his presidential address to the Pathological Society of London. Quote, One sees that as men grow old and wish for rest, they are prone to ask, where are we to stop? I do not know more than this, that we must stop where we are, we must go on and on, and we may be sure that those who work to find the truth will not work in vain. Sure that with true work, true good will come. So I will hope that it may be here during my presidency. End quote. That is uh, 78 one-syllable words in a row, and apparently he, he usually spoke like that. Wouldn't it have been kind of nice for folks outside of the medical field if this had caught on in general? It certainly saved me a lot of time defining words. So that's Paget, who was operating in England, rapidly advancing the field of pathology. Meanwhile, in Germany, we have Rudolf Virchow. Like Paget, Virchow was born poor, but was brilliant, topping all of his classes and being fluent in German, Latin, Greek, Hebrew, English, Arabic, French, Italian, and Dutch. Virchow's original calling was to become a pastor, but lucky for us, he instead became a doctor because his voice was too weak for preaching. He was a little luckier than Paget in that he received a military scholarship to pay for his medical schooling. After several jobs, he became assistant to an early pathologist, which spurred his interest in the topic. He began to write avidly and lecture all over, helping to popularize cell theory. That idea, again, that organisms are made from cells and that cells create other cells. He advocated for better living conditions as a matter of health, and when he met resistance, got involved in politics, becoming one of the famous Prime Minister Otto von Bismarck's political enemies. Bismarck at one point even challenged Virchow to a duel, because that was still a thing, and some stories say that Virchow, as challenger, got to choose the weapons. His weapons of choice? Sausages. His being cooked, and Bismarck's being raw. Unsurprisingly, between his medical and his political career, he was very busy, and apparently only slept for two or three hours a night consistently, which kind of just baffles me. Over his career, Virchow wrote over 2,000 scientific works and was known to his colleagues as the Pope of Medicine. He coined numerous biological terms, described many diseases for the first time, and has a lot of things named after him too, just like Paget. He standardized a method for autopsy, a valuable diagnostic tool at the time, but broadly, his biggest contribution for us was popularizing the modern concept of pathological processes, where diseases affect organs and cells. I have no doubt he will return in a later season, because his achievements are so numerous that I do not have time for them all here. 
Anyway, after Paget and Virchow, who are often considered the fathers of modern pathology, we have yet another great scientist, Robert Koch, who would make massive strides in our understanding of disease. You may recall that Lister heard about Pasteur's initial work on bacteria causing rotting, and kind of just assumed that that was similar to gangrene and sepsis. Koch is the guy who actually proves that bacteria are responsible for a host of diseases. Robert Koch was a doctor, working as a general practitioner in Hanover. He had no lab and no special training, but was keenly interested in microscopy, and apparently made a habit out of it. In 1876, Koch told his botanist friend that he had been studying the anthrax bacteria. It's common in cattle and horses, but can be transmitted to humans, and has bad effects for everyone involved. This isn't really news, though. It had been described accurately some 27 years earlier. What was news was that Koch had isolated it by making a culture. Others before him had observed it in vivo, or in live tissue, but Koch observed the bacteria in vitro, or outside of living tissue. This new idea met some opposition, especially from folks who didn't believe in this newfangled germ theory in the first place, even including prominent scientists like Virchow. Virchow, in fact, was incredibly anti-germ theory, and was one of the opponents of hand-washing that we mentioned in our last episode. But Louis Pasteur himself eventually replicated Koch's results, growing a culture of anthrax bacteria on his own. And history would show Koch and Pasteur to be right. Bacteria were responsible for many, many diseases. Koch also stained a variety of bacteria, which would help in identifying different bacteria. He identified six different organisms responsible for surgical infections, with a combination of staining, culturing, and injecting the bacteria cultures into animals, and then observing the effects. While Paget and Virchow had identified many diseases, they were looking at abnormalities in cells. No one had yet identified diseases by the specific microorganisms that caused them, a literally small yet very big new deal. Of particular note, Koch identified the tuberculosis bacteria, a disease which has always been a major pain in our butts. In 1882, he described the bacteria, and also outlined three principles to link together a bacteria and a disease, which still hold true to this day. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but here goes. Number one, the bacteria has to be present in the organism when suffering from the relevant disease. Number two, the bacteria should be grown outside the body for several generations. Number three, if that isolated bacteria is exposed to susceptible animals, they will also develop the disease. To us, familiar with germ theory even as children, this is pretty much common sense. But it was revolutionary for the time, and it's kind of remarkable that it holds up to this very day, despite being figured out over a century ago. Unfortunately, discovering that bacteria are the cause of disease doesn't mean we will have a cure anytime soon. You may recall that the first cure for tuberculosis doesn't happen until streptomycin in the 1950s. Koch did try, though. He reasoned that maybe overpopulation of the bacteria would produce something that could kill the individual bacteria, some kind of self-regulating chemical that would prevent overpopulation. He found tuberculin, which is produced by the tuberculosis bacteria when there's a lot of them around. Unfortunately, tuberculin is a toxin, and just to us, not to the bacteria itself. It does see some use later as a test to see if an individual is susceptible to tuberculosis infection or not, but is a dead end as far as treatment goes. From there, many other scientists continued the good work of figuring out which bacteria caused what diseases. They are far too numerous to name, but give these many scientists a bit of credit in your head. 
They expanded on Koch's work and meant that many diseases could now be identified by examining samples and finding the relevant microorganism. You might notice that we hardly talked about any real surgeries this week. But these discoveries that lead to modern pathology are so important to surgery that I felt it necessary to dedicate a week to it. Being able to identify exactly what is wrong makes it a lot easier to decide what you need to do, or at the very least experiment to find a cure if you don't have one yet. Next week, we'll keep with this theme and talk about another important technology that helps surgery along, namely x-rays. Like always, thanks for listening, and thanks to my editor, Jojo Tang, my cover artist, Angie Lee, and Muse Open for our music. <laughs>